0: What Should I Think About? is a podcast that sets off on a lofty goal to make sense of the complicated, contradictory, confusing but wonderful thing we call the world. Hello and welcome to the What Should I Think About? podcast. I'm Celine.
1: And I'm Stephen. Um, And we've got a really interesting guest today. Uh, So we have Robin Jackson. Uh, Robin is an ex-Jehovah's Witness. He's the author of two books on the subject of cults and has his own podcast called Cult Life. He also, um, in my view, provides a really valuable South African perspective onto the Jehovah's Witnesses organization and how it operates on the continent of Africa. So um, welcome to the show, Robin.
2: Hello, Stephen. Hello, Celine. Thank you for having me on the show. Good to be here.
1: You're absolutely welcome. Great. So, um, I I don't think it's um, anything wrong to tell the viewers that we did this is our second attempt at um, our mm-hmm. second attempt at this. Um, we had a few technical issues, didn't we, a couple of weeks ago, and we had to bail out. It's the first time ever. Um, but you're back, better and clearer than ever. So we're so glad we we managed to uh, to get you again. Yeah. So maybe you maybe you could tell us um, start by just um, telling us a bit about your story, please, Robin.
2: Yeah, sure. Um, as, as you've introduced me there, uh, Stephen, um, I'm from South Africa, Durban, South Africa, but originally uh, I grew up where I spent most of my, my, my the early childhood and adult, early teens and, and into my adult uh, life in, in Port Elizabeth uh, and Utenag, a little town in the Eastern Cape of South Africa.
0: Okay.
2: So um, that's where I grew up and then subsequently moved to Durban on the East Coast. Uh, of South Africa. Um, that's where I'm based now, but, um, okay. the whole Jehovah's witness journey started in, uh, Port Elizabeth, Utenaic, um, where I was actually born and bred and, and, and raised. Mm-hmm. Um, my dad, I'm a second generation Jehovah's witness. My dad okay. actually, um, got in touch with the Jehovah's witnesses. I think it was the early seventies. Um, and, um, because I can recall, from documents and from, from, from what my parents tell me, I was actually originally baptized in the Anglican church as a okay. baby. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so he got uh, involved with the Witnesses early 70s, 1970s. And, um, you know, I basically uh, grew up uh, as a, you know, from a, from a young little boy, uh, mm. grew up in, 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 the, in the faith. Um, and then eventually got baptized by the age of 13. Um, wow, well, that was 1983. Giving away my age here, <laughs> but, <laughs> but uh, yeah, I mean, got baptized in 1983. And um, interestingly, uh, that you know, what I grew up in, what the Jehovah's Witnesses like to call a divided household, because okay. my mm. mom never actually took to um, you know the, the the Jehovah's Witnesses, and my mm. two sisters, younger sisters. Um, you know, they would attend meetings with us growing up, but but eventually they l- started leaning towards, you know, mom's side and went to right. the congregation. So I, I was the one, the son, eldest son, eventually started going, you know, uh, became a Jehovah's Witness. But that's the interesting dynamic in our household. So we were basically grew up you know, in a in a, what we what the witnesses call a divided house.
1: <laughs> which is always you know we talk about loaded language quite a lot on this program, and um, that's that in itself is a a term that you don't even think about really. But when you think about what actually that says, that's a little bit disturbing, isn't it? Really,
2: it is. It really is, and and it's interesting you mention that because. You know, I think I think about a, a year back, I had a very similar discussion about this divided, loaded language yes. and this divided mm-hmm. household. Because, yeah. you know, they call it a divided household, but for us, it wasn't. You know, we no. were, you know, we were a family. family. Exactly. Mm-hmm. We weren't a divided household. We were family. Yeah. Yeah. yeah sorry I interrupted
1: your your flow there so um you're, yeah. you're telling us you're in this um, situation yeah yeah
2: and uh grew as I said got baptized by the age of 13 so as you can imagine that's a very young age but um but interestingly um you know I was I was always a a what what people term a deep thinker even from a yes. very young age yeah. So two years later, uh, in 1985, you know, we, uh, um, now during the 80s, I I would say the 70s and the 80s and into the early 90s, um, Jehovah's Witnesses in South Africa experienced tremendous growth. Yes. Um, And I think it was partly because of, and as I stated in, you know, in, in my book as well, it's because of the history of, of the political situation in South Africa. You know, the, the whole apartheid era, um yeah. where, where where Jehovah's Witnesses and their message, where people were were trying to, you know, make sense of their surroundings and, and the oppression they were in. And yeah. along comes Jehovah's Witnesses with this message of hope. Um, paradise Earth where everybody's equal and there's no um, yes. you know there's a there's a future. Um, and I think it resonated with a lot of uh black uh so and colored and you know the the non-white african population mm. and that's why the growth was quite tremendous um, mm. and to in 1985 i remember the conventions you know you get groomed um yes i, I, I always i used to have parts in the conventions and 1985 Good. two years after my baptism uh, and i want to go back to 1983 because i was when when I when I got baptized, those two questions were very, you know, the two questions that get, gets asked of, of baptismal candidates. Yeah, they were very important to me, you know. So I memorized right. those questions because it was a it was a big step.
0: And what are those questions for people like me than the ones? Yeah, that don't
1: can, know? can I just um, before you answer that question, just um, for those not list, not aware, um, when when Jehovah's Witnesses get baptized, they. Um, they're, they're, it's at some sort of convention or assembly and they ask the baptismal candidates to stand so you stand in front of everybody and the uh, elder giving the talk whoever's giving the talk asks these two questions and then the, uh, the baptismal candidates then always say yes I've never seen anybody say no to these questions but they always say yes <laughs> um, and so they're the questions you're talking about so what Celine what asked you what, what those questions were
2: yeah so basically in a nutshell the questions were um the first one was, was along these lines where they would ask you if you uh, repented of your 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 sins and 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 uh, you know you recognize that that you repented on your, your sins and the second question was basically along these lines where do you recognize that your baptism is into the uh, is in the name of the father son and the holy spirit which is, of course, you know, what the Bible used to yeah. mention. The baptism was mm. into the Father name, the Father, mm. Son, and Holy Spirit. And two years later at a convention, 1985, I'm 15 years old and I'm sitting yeah. at the convention and listening to the baptismal talk. And once again, it's you know time for the candidates to stand up and the questions get asked, but they sounded a little bit different this time. And what struck me was the second question, because the second question changed. And it was along the lines of where they asked the candidates, do you recognize that your baptism now is into Jehovah's organization? Mm. And I was sitting there, 15 years old, and I'm thinking to myself, "Uh, hang on. Did I (laughs) hear that correctly? You know, (laughs) and I'm I'm looking to, to my left. I look to my right to, just to see if anybody else recognized or heard what I what I just heard and uh, that that worried me to the point oh, where gosh. the yeah that to the point the following week I actually approached an elder in the congregation uh, in our, in my local congregation I asked him um, you know uh, has the baptismal questions changed and he said yes yep. it was in the Watchtower. I went and looked it up, and there it was you know and right. and and I think that was the very first alarm bell for me wow. um, hmm. looking back at it, you know that was actually my very first alarm bell
1: so what was it about that then that worried you that that bothered you so much
2: um It bothered me that it is now the organization that is you get baptized into an organization which was totally removed from what the Bible said, and what I, you know, understood what baptism was yeah. all about. Um, so that was my very first alarm bell, um, you right. know, going up uh, in the Jehovah's Witnesses. And of course, you know, because of the situation, I'm 15 years old, I'm taught to, I'm, you, su- you suppress these, these uh, thoughts, um, you're not allowed to question the authority, of course. Um, so you carry on uh, you know in your, your being a teenager and, and trying mm. to, trying to live your life. And, but all through uh, interesting interesting uh, story, I had a, a friend of mine uh, that was a witness as well at the time, and um, he lost his father to uh, the whole blood transfusion issue. Um, right. And um, this actually hit him very hard and I could see how it affected him. And I went and looked at the blood issue uh, at that. I was was probably about 16, 17 years old and tried to make sense of it. And, you know, I just couldn't wrap my head around how, you know, the the, the, the witness doctrine around this. But of course, once again, you suppress that um, because that's what you are told. That's you cannot question the authority. Mm. that was the second major alarm bell for me you know those niggling thoughts they're always there in the back of your mind uh, but you taught to you know put it yes put it aside yeah just carry on Um, wait on jehovah correct absolutely um you know and uh, of course went out into the field ministry now something very interesting when it came to going out in house to house work for me um you must remember south africa um, has very uh, we have a, a population where some of our populations are, are amongst the poor, and a lot of times we would we would do field service and go from house to house in the in the poor mm. areas. Yeah, yeah. And of course, with um, at that time we were still selling the literature. Um, yes. Yeah. At that time you mm. we were still selling mm. literature. You were selling at the door. Uh, you were delivering yeah. the message, but at the end of the message you would sell mm. the book. You would sell them, right. magazines, magazines. Yep. And this didn't sit right with me um, because mm. I went to these people's houses and I could see that, you know, these people ha- hardly have anything any mm. food to eat. But mm. how could I be asking them to, mm. to, to buy this literature, this Watchtower and Awake magazine or uh, this mm. Live Forever in Paradise book? Um, you know, yeah. and it, it used to bother me. Um, many times I would just deliver the message and, and leave you know, because I couldn't, I couldn't take a seat from mm-hmm. these people. Mm-hmm. Um, so, so that was, you know, one of the, the things that I also remember looking back, growing up as a Jehovah's Witness, um, and, uh, you know, those, those little niggling alarm bells, mm-hmm. eventually I got married, uh, uh, in the organization, um, in love got married and, um, you know. All through the years, there were, I found out about cover-ups, child sexual abuse issues um, right. in, in neighboring con, uh, congregations uh, that were swept under the carpet. And we all know how, how that mm. has come out now. I'm not going to go into yes. detail about that. Sure. But, you know, South Africa was not mm. immune to that. I mean, nowhere in the world is immune yeah. to that. So, no, no, um, no, no. Absolutely. That was something that also worried me quite a bit.
1: So were you um were you an elder or were you ministerial servant or pioneer or did you do any of those things?
2: I used to auxiliary pioneer quite a bit but never yeah, made the yeah. cut for ministerial <laughs> servant <laughs> I think partly because you know um, Stephen I partly because I think I had those niggling doubts and yeah, I couldn't yeah. I had questions and I and I didn't yeah. really you know really
1: put my all into it sounds like you're one of those pesky independent thinkers <laughs> that um they they try to discourage <laughs> absolutely absolutely yeah. um so you're so you're um you're a faithful jehovah's witness you're married to a, a jehovah's witness woman um did you have any children did you have a family or was it just the two of you
2: yes um i've got two kids they were actually born in as well um yeah. Okay. Uh, they were born in. They were very. Uh, we left um, the Jehovah's Witnesses when my kids were still toddlers. I would say, um, right. Okay. When I stopped going, yeah.
1: Right. Okay. So tell us a bit about that then, uh,
2: if you don't mind.
1: And um, what what happened? Yeah. Um, so you'd had these um, you'd had these doubts. You'd had uh, um, these niggling issues for some time, mm. but at some point, obviously you. You make the break. So, um, what what was around that?
2: Yeah. Um, so, all through the years growing up, uh, you know, even during my married life, and, and, and um, there were always these questions, were always there, these niggling thoughts were always there. And it got to a point, yeah. I always say that you, you know, when you, it's like a, a, a bottle, you suppress these thoughts, and eventually it's going to reach a point where, you know, you, you can't, it's, it's going to overflow. Um, And I got to a stage where I thought to myself, no, um, you know, I I need to do, (laughs) sit back, take a step back and think about what I'm feeling, what I'm, you know, what I've heard, what I've, what I've seen. Um, And I started, of course, doing my, what they call independent research and not using, yeah, and not using the Watchtower literature for research. (laughs) So I went outside of that. And, of course, that opened up a whole nother (laughs) world for me. Um, Mm -hmm. But it only just, um, you know, reiterated what I was feeling. So that was the big thing for me. Um, Mm -hmm. But I kept the secret. Of course, you know, you got to do this undercover. Um, Kept it away from from even my family and my wife. um, And uh, eventually stopped going to the meetings. I did not stop. My wife and going to the meetings, and she asked me the one day I said, "Listen, I need to take a step back yeah uh, I'm not comfortable with what I know, um, but i'm not going to stop you from you know sure uh, going to the mm-hmm. meetings um, but this is the the this is where I 'm at at the moment, and she carried on. <laughs> The What Should I Think About podcast
1: has been going now since around November 2020 and we've really enjoyed doing it. We release at least two shows a week, it's about eight a month of course, with Sunday being an interview and Wednesday being our discussion about a new subject each week. We love you our listeners and we really value the interaction we have with you and we want to keep the podcast going. Currently I pretty much work on the podcast full time researching topics, booking guests, recording and editing, with Celine working part-time, doing very much the same things. So in order for us to keep going and continue to improve, we've reached that point in the life of a podcast where we have to make some decisions about how we support it financially. Most podcasts have ads, either that are delivered by the podcast hosts or from third parties that interrupt the show. We really don't want to do that. We want to keep the What Should I Think About podcast ad free. So we're going to try something different to most podcasts. We'd like to ask you if you think this podcast is worth a pound, or a dollar fifty, or a euro twenty a month, or whatever the equivalent is in your own currency. If you think it's worth that, we'd like to invite you to become a member or a patron for just that. So how we're doing it is we're flattening out our tiers on Patreon to just our single lowest tier. For those patrons, not only will you get the two public podcasts a week, but you'll also get exclusive video each month, bonus content of at least one a month and probably more, and exclusive access to the What Should I Think About Facebook private group, where you can contribute to our Ask Us Anything episodes coming up soon, and talk about the show we've got other plans too that will make your pound or dollar 50 even better value but we can't say too much about that yet we really want to make access to this community possible to everyone and we think this minimal amount will do that while providing the show with a small income in order for us to keep going so the next few weeks we'll be flattening out our tiers on patreon providing all benefits through the lowest tier currently known as loss aversion for just a pound or its equivalent in your own currency so please consider being part of our community thank you the link to our patreon page can be found in the show notes
2: all the research Um, eventually came to a point where um, it worried me because at that point I had spent 25 years of my life you know uh, in this organization Um, you know cutting off family cutting off friends um, and it hit me very hard the one evening where I was tossing and turning lying in bed couldn't Sleep and I and I got up um, and I went and sat in front of my PC and you know uh, tried to make sense of what I just uncovered <laughs> the history yep. Um, yep. partly because and I would say partly because I was I, I've always been a history nut you know so I, right. I'd love to I love history so I went also, I also went back into the the history of the organization and that's that's where I also uncovered a lot of the right yeah um, and then got to the point where. Um I couldn't go to another meeting, um, you know, mm. and I had to eventually put my thoughts down. You know, they always say writing down what you feel is very therapeutic. Uh, mm. I eventually started doing that um, and um, started writing down my thoughts and what I feel just to just to get it out there. You know, Yeah. <laughs> I, also, I, was, yeah. I yeah. wasn't going to do anything with it, but just to sure. let mm. my thoughts, let it flow what I was feeling mm. inside. Mm. And uh, stopped going to the meetings, and um, it was about, I think, a year later that my uh, wife came home from a meeting one day, and she said to me, she's also, you know, right. <laughs> she's, yeah. she's done, she's done. Mm-hmm. Um, right. Interesting. And um, what had happened in the meantime was, I had written um, down all of my thoughts and what yes. I've uncovered. And this actually, this eventually became a manuscript, you know, <laughs> this eventually yep. became a manuscript. And um, I had this and I thought to myself, if I speak out and, you know, Stephen, the consequences of speaking out, yep. this was in the back of your mind. Yep. If I speak out, mm, and, absolutely. Uh, you're going to get cut off from family. You're going to get cut mm. off from friends and disfellowshipped and all of that. But, Um, There were things that I'd uncovered that I couldn't keep quiet about because Mm -hmm. I thought, you know, um, at the time, South Africa uh, was, uh, there was nobody in South Africa actually actively speaking out um, about the witnesses in uh, in South Africa. And I thought, look, I needed to do something. I needed to uh, just make my voice heard, you know, (laughs) no matter what the consequences are. This was my truth. Yeah. 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 And um, I eventually decided to um, publish what I've uncovered, Um, but partly uh, because there were people being hurt um, at the time. Uh, in, in congregations that I, uh, you know, were affiliated with, um, right. and I needed to speak out. And that was partly why I decided to become an, you know, an activist, but I knew the consequences. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Yeah. Um, mm. but you soldier on. And, uh, I, when I finished the manuscript, my wife approached me and she says, listen, where is your manuscript? I want to read it. Mm. And I said to her, there it is. Have a look and she read it came back three days later and said to me uh, look whatever you decide to do with this you know what the consequences are yeah i said yeah and she said to me look Mm. i will support you she might not agree with stuff that i've with all of the things i've written in there but you know Mm. she's 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 fully behind me so um, but the big question was um, do i just go ahead we needed to." to speak to our parents, because our parents were, my dad was still in, her parents right. were still Jehovah's witnesses, her brothers mm-hmm. and sisters. Mm. So we made the point of going to speak to them yeah um, about why we are not raising our children as Jehovah's witnesses mm. and why we've stepped back um, mm. so that, um, you know, they know and don't find out by the media or, you know. Sure. Um, yeah. So we did that and, of course, came back uh, to Durban published the book, and three months later, all hell broke loose. (laughs) Yeah, um, because, of course, the media picked up on this, and um, I got featured in, you know, on media, a lot of the media platforms in South Africa, Um, to the point where, you know, I think that was when everything just went crazy, because now I became apostate number one in right. South Africa yeah. because yeah. of my uh, outspoken uh, and mm. the books that I've, I started and mm. published. Um, to the point where we started, we, we you know, uh, we stopped going, but we, I did not disassociate myself because I thought, my, you know, I said I was not going to play their game. You know, yeah. I wasn't yeah. part of it. Yeah. Mm. But they were not going to leave me as as that. And uh, um, the elders came knocking (laughs) Mm. (laughs) one Saturday morning uh, because um, I think they got the directive from uh, the branch in South Mm. Africa because I was all over the media. Mm. And one Saturday morning, the elders came knocking at my door. Um, I knew, you know, you, you expect that to happen. Yeah, yep. And uh, they came knocking, and I opened the door. And and I must tell you this, I've got to paint the picture for you, because this is quite Mm -hmm. interesting how this happened. (laughs) So (laughs) I had just come back from an assignment in Johannesburg, Uh, got back on Friday to Durban, and I was tired, went went to bed early, got up the Saturday morning, it was summer, very early on the Saturday morning, made myself a cup of coffee and went sat on my balcony, you know, cause listen to the birds chirping and, and like, you know, Yeah. Watching it, yeah. yeah. and um, as I was sitting on my balcony overlooking the road, um, I saw this uh, little car drive up the road and uh, next thing, it comes back down again and back up again. And the next thing it drives down my neighbor's driveway. Um, And I saw on the side of the, on the door, it was a plumber's uh, ad, you know, uh, some plumbing company. So I thought, oh, you know, my neighbor must be having plumbing problems. Yeah. Yeah. And uh, the next thing, I hear the knock on the door. But it's not a nice knock, not a gentle knock. Mm. It's a, (laughs) it's like the police have come knocking. Right. Okay. (laughs) So I, I get up and I go and open the door and uh, lo and behold, here are the two elders. So they were the ones that were, uh, you know, looking for my address and right. hunted me down. So I opened the door and here the two elders are standing in front and I said, hello, good morning. Could I help you? And the one elder said to me, are you Robin Jackson? I said, yes. Um, are you the, the guy that's written the book called Losing the Faith? I said, yes. Would you like a copy? I was being a bit sarcastic, <laughs> <laughs> and uh, immediately he says to me, no, 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 we we are just here to find out, um, do you consider yourself a Jehovah's Witness? And I said to him, look, I used to consider myself a Jehovah's Witness, but not anymore. Mm-hmm. And immediately he tells me, he says, well, in that case, then um, we will have to make an announcement at the Kingdom Hall. Hmm. Well, and uh, Stephen, you must picture this. So immediately when he said that, I, there was a security gate. So I opened the security gate and stepped outside. And I hmm. said to them, listen to me very carefully, brothers. You go ahead and make that announcement at the Kingdom Hall, And I promise you, I will sue you for libel. Hmm. And I said, I'm not talking about suing the Watchtower Society. Well, the Watchtower organization. I was talking about suing you in your personal capacity. And I said, you will find something very interesting when, you, when I do that. The Watchtower will not back you up. They will leave you to fight something like that on your own. <laughs> <laughs> Immediately, he says to me, oh, I wouldn't want to do something where the Watchtower won't back me up. And I said, well, then go ahead and make the announcement yeah. at the Kingdom Hall. Um, and, and the reason why I did that was, and you know, Stephen, that once before they used to stand up on the platform and excuse me and disfellowship you, but they would tell you, tell the, the the congregation what you were disfellowshipped for. And that got them into trouble. They changed that arrangement where they just said, you know, so and so Robin Jackson is no longer Joe's Witness, trying to protect themselves. But mm-hmm. in effect, you are still People in the audience are still wondering, oh, mm. what was he, he disfellowshipped for? Was it for smoking? Mm. Was it for drinking? Mm. You know, whatever the case may mm. be. Mm. Um, so they left uh, that morning. I thought they were trying to, to intimidate me and, and they didn't. They saw that, you know, I wasn't backing down. Yeah, yeah. And they left and I went back up and I said to myself, you know what? These two elders had the audacity to hunt me down, because you must remember, I had moved house Mm. and nobody knew where Mm. I'd moved. So they hunted me down my address. Mm. So I wrote them a letter, not a disassociation letter, but I wrote them a letter which I took to the Kingdom Hall. And I was quite brave when I did this. I actually went, I waited for the Thursday evening uh, school Mm. and service meeting. I stood, sat outside in the car and I had the envelope with my letter and I walked inside there and I said, I t- went up to the first elder and I said, please make a copy of this letter to each of the elders and read it before you do anything. And mm-hmm. I lifted it and I walked right out there. Hmm. I think, uh, you know, when I walked into that kingdom wall, you must have heard the silence in the foyer yeah, yeah. <laughs> you could hear a pin drop you know yeah, yeah. <laughs> um <laughs> because they didn't expect that um mm-hmm. and i left it at that and uh, i wrote them a letter and that's that's the last i've left you alone and they've left me alone
1: they've left you alone that's really interesting so yeah. basically a cease I mean, and
0: desist letter <laughs> yeah.
1: Yeah. yeah yeah
2: um
1: i mean who knows how different um bodies of elders and different um individuals behave but that yeah that sounds like quite a good um strategy to come out fighting as opposed to um yeah you know just accept um on their yeah. terms and, and i i respect whatever people want to do you know in terms of some people feel it's important for them to write a letter and and, and make a, a clean break and they don't want to be associated with the organisation um for the people um like me really I didn't a bit like you I didn't really want to play their game you know I actually I don't need to yeah. um say anything to to them because they hold absolutely no um authority over me Correct. so um I don't feel like I need to say anything to them um if they want if they believe that I'm still a Jehovah's witness well you know knock yourself out is is what I think yeah. um I obviously need to make sure that the medical uh, that my doctor and everybody knows I'm not. But um, but as far as they're concerned, I don't care what they think. Mm. Um, but, yeah, I understand why some people might want to do it. But I like yeah. the idea that you, you sort of came out out fighting on that. Yeah. Um, so, so how long ago was just to get a bit of time frame? So you've – we're 2021 now. How long have you been
2: out and doing your work? I've been out of the organization since – uh, 2005, I would say. Okay. Yeah. 2005. Right, okay. Um, so I've been doing, you know, on an activism on and off, uh, subsequently. Um, yeah, but something very interesting, um, you know, and I know your, the show is all about, uh, trying to encourage people to see people, there, there is a life outside of the cult. Yes. You know? yes um, absolutely. and something very interesting and uh, what, this is what I always tell people when, um, they always t- ask me, what do I take away from being a Jehovah's Witness? And <laughs> I said, you know what? They taught yeah. me to speak publicly. They taught mm. me to be able to speak in front of people. That's the one thing yeah. I take away from them. You know, I was groomed yeah. from a very early age to speak on a platform and to speak mm. publicly. And that's the one thing I take away. But I, you know, when you, it's, it's such an insular organization uh, and you grow up in this bubble. And you are conditioned to think that everybody else is wrong and everybody else's opinion and viewpoint is doesn't matter. You are right. And when I left, I had to change, you know, it was hard to change that Mm. mentality because I had to go on life coaching to be able to see, you know what, we can still disagree with other people Mm. on certain points, Mm. but we can still be Mm. friends. You know
1: absolutely yeah we can yeah, still be yeah, friends absolutely.
2: we can have a different religious outlook we can have a different view of religion and, but we can still be friends and still you yes. know mm-hmm. associate with one another that doesn't have yeah. to get in the way um yeah so i had to go on and and i immersed myself on on you know reading books and and life went on on seminars and leadership training and life coaching uh, because I needed, I I needed to get out of that thinking, man. It wasn't healthy. Somebody told me in the very mm-hmm. early stages, um, you know, I got into an argument with somebody because of his different point of view, but and they pulled me aside and said, listen, uh, it's okay mm-hmm. to have different points of views on this and still be friends. Yeah. Mm-hmm.
0: Just think it's important in general because, um, yeah, we're in a bit of a situation i guess at the moment just in society where we're all choosing our group and then not being friends of each other <laughs> um, <laughs> so just an important message in general um yeah. and yeah i think yeah the witnesses is a good microcosm of that as an example to show how yeah you can just get so tunneled and um yeah oh, into um, your into your viewpoint and disregard other things um so yeah just a good point in general for each non-witnesses alike, Mm. just to remember that, I guess.
1: Uh, I mean, I guess um, the the other aspect of of your life, uh, Robin, or your situation, I guess, that interests us is obviously, uh, well, uh, me particularly, because I've grown up watching South Africa and all the political difficulties um, in and around South Africa. Uh, uh, You know, I remember apartheid, I remember... Remember the sports teams being um, banned, you know. So yeah. all the sports that we used to play with South Africans, you know, cricket, rugby, all of those yeah. things, none of that. Um, so it was a, it was very much in the news. And um, you're growing up in that environment. That's, I guess, that's something that you, you understand. You've been there. How, how did your jehovah's witness upbringing intersect with with the political situation in south africa and then when you leave how do you because you must have opinions and views yeah about that now and yet whereas before you couldn't can you talk a little bit about all of that side of things
2: yeah um look the jehovah's firstly the jehovah's witnesses pride always pride themselves on this non-racialistic Setting, or they yeah. they always you know say that they are non-racialist uh, society or, or, or organization. Mm. Um, but my experience uh, during the apartheid era, especially as well, was mm. was, was totally different. We used I can yes. I can I can I can honestly say that there were times, as a Jehovah's Witness, um, that um, the the black and the non-white brothers and sisters, were definitely looked down upon by, you right. know, uh, um, elders in the congregation or, 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 you know, the the other, other spe- side of the spectrum, the white uh, right. uh, 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 brothers and sisters. I can definitely say that because we, you know, we experienced that. And, and yeah. it, it was murmurings in the congregations about, you know, those types of things. Mm. Um, mm. And then, you know, you you try and make sense of that in the organization and you know outside in the political sphere you have the segregation going on um, yeah. uh, but we look we in 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 apartheid south africa our kingdom walls had to be segregated too um, because yeah. of you know the communities that people were living in uh, sure. although we had uh, you know uh, traveling overseers and, and and elders coming in and, and, and associating with us but they would then go back to their respective homes in the different segregated areas so they would only yeah. you know uh, um, associate with us back then so apartheid it was a very interesting dynamic um mm. but but for me it was i would i would in in my working career i would i would associate with people who were not racist or you know uh, that mm. way inclined um mm. and and treated me better than what some of my, <laughs> yeah, interesting. my actually i was mm. written as uh, uh, brothers uh, treated mm. me you know um mm. so it was quite an interesting dynamic and you try to make sense and all these types of things uh you know used to play on on my, my psyche mm. and, and, and stuff mm. growing up even when i eventually left Uh, when we moved up from Port Elizabeth up to to, to Durban, the people that welcomed us here with open arms was a family that was not Jehovah's Witnesses. They Mm -hmm. took us in here. The Jehovah's Witnesses didn't. You know, we were just seen as another, you know, family coming from a different town and moving Mm -hmm. in. But the friendships outside, I mean, people, colleagues of mine were, you know, took us in and, and helped us, mm. and you know. Mm. I, and I thought to myself, "Look at the difference here. <laughs> mm. know, how these mm. people are treating me compared to my so-called brothers yeah. and sisters." So yeah. it was a, quite an interesting dynamic, and I actually mentioned wrote a write about that in my first book because I think that was also a catalyst for me. You know, yeah, uh, yeah. Eventually leaving.
0: Do you think there's a lot of um, a lot of lip service then versus actual reality? basically. Oh, going on.
2: absolutely. Absolutely. Mm-hmm. I think there was, there was quite a bit of lip service going on uh, versus, um, and you hit them, the nail on the head there, Celine. Uh, definitely, mm-hmm. definitely. In some, not, you know, not all, all aspects, but, um, mm-hmm. definitely some, some, uh, brothers were, were playing lip service to the whole, the whole era. Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah. Um, the,
1: the, the thing is when you, I think part of it is when you set yourself up, as Jehovah's Witnesses do, with this superior attitude that, mm-hmm. you know, we are this wonderful organization that, you know, is, has no racism and has no, you know, the Catholics have a problem with child abuse, but we don't, you know, because we're yeah. Jehovah's organization and um, other other organizations have problems with racism and um, so on. But we don't because we're Jehovah's yeah. organization. I think when you do that, you set yourself up for a fail, don't you? For oh, <laughs>
0: Yeah, we should have mentioned that in our episode. We talked about perfection. We should have mentioned yeah. that, yeah, like if you think you're the perfect organization, then you're in trouble because you you can't fix anything, can you? You can't admit any wrongs because then
2: it Correct. all starts yeah.
0: crumbling, right?
2: Correct. Yeah. And, that, and that's exactly what the organization is faced with at the moment because they're trying to maintain that image, you know? Yeah.
1: Um, yeah. yeah. I say you can say that it's a non sequitur. You know, how can we how can we improve our policies around these things because yeah it's already Admissions. it's jehovah's yeah exactly mm. we'd have to admit that we've got things wrong where you know we can't really do that so so they're left with this um, kind of impossible situation Correct. they're trying to pull off yeah and i think the yeah. thorn in
2: their side is the blood issue um, because yeah. if they admit and change that policy yeah
0: too many that people have died too many
2: people have and that's something that's uh, yeah, always played on my mind.
0: How would you? How would you? You know, as as elders, potentially, because it it has to drip down, right? So regardless of who makes the decision on new light, or as they call it, but then as elders, just individual people, you'll have to go to families and say, "I'm sorry, like that, your dad, your brother, your child died, yeah, because they couldn't have blood, but but well, they can now." So do you know what I mean? Like, how can you expect? people to accept that and there not be a mass exodus. Do you know what I mean?
1: Yeah. Definitely. Yeah, I think that's right. Um so so going back to the um the political sort of situation, I mean I've we've um I, I've become I, I wouldn't say I'm hyper political. I'm not an activist, political activist in any way, but I, I now vote, for instance, which obviously you couldn't do before. <laughs> yes. um, I have opinions about um, you know, what I think about our Prime Minister and I have opinions about what I think of also said so did you how did you find that you know when you suddenly started to realize you could have opinions about politics and and all of that stuff how was that
2: yeah because first of all you know um during the apartheid era uh, we couldn't you know anti apartheid activism was a no no you know that's right uh, um, i mean you would see all my my school friends i mean we had you know in, in high school i mean anti-apartheid activism was rife in high school mm. um, and all of yeah. my friends that I used associate with were, were involved in, 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 all of that. Um, and then when you look back, um, when I you eventually leave and you think back and you think, wow, mm. you know, these yeah. people made a difference. And, and, and now that I'm in that state where I can have a voice and I can speak mm. my mind about mm. politics and what I think about, you know, this party and these leaders. Um, yeah. And, you know, and I was taught back then that these—it's wrong. You know, to mm. <laughs> to—and mm. these people were fighting for a genuine cause. Absolutely, you know I mean? they were fighting for yeah. a genuine. Yeah. People lost their lives for it. Um, yes, you know, yeah. we—I lost. Uh, you know, uh, friends of mine were thrown into jail for for anti-apartheid activism. Um, so you know, you look—it's such a—and you, as I said, twenty-five years in that organization, and then you. Mm. And then you leave and you find and you, and the the blinkers come off and you think, man, wow. You know, I don't like to see it as wasted because I use it now in in, in a way to, to, in my activism, you know, and I speak up now. Um, Yeah. So it is probably a journey I had to go through uh, to be able to get to this point. Yeah
1: absolutely I really recognize that Robin um, and I think that's again another reason for this podcast is to is to maybe be there for people who are going through that I mean I know I I felt um, very angry for a while because mm. I, I thought about all the wasted years and you know um, mm. and every time I mean it may you know you it's hard to attribute everything to to one thing so who knows what would have happened but you always look back and you think well if I hadn't have being a jehovah's witness you know maybe i could have done this or maybe i could have done that and mm. and then when when life hits you a little bit of a curveball you you blame the jehovah's witnesses because that's you know that's what got you yeah. into this situation so it's it's always a kind of niggling anger so it, yeah i think it takes a while personally to get to work through that and i really like what you said there which is that um you kind of use it, and and um, I think that's great because, of course, it's not just Jehovah's Witnesses; it's other groups as well. Yeah, and so we have an insight into into the life of all sorts of groups that we we don't really know or understand, but we recognize. Mm. You know, we recognize that the life. Selena um, and I did a, a review of the Netflix series called Unorthodox, which is about a young Jewish woman um, escaping her very strict. Um, Hasidic uh, Jewish upbringing and um, and it, as strange as it is you know I, I recognize so much of that although it's a completely different world really yeah. but we can can't we yeah yeah and you know what so I think that's something that we get
2: yeah a friend of mine actually equated it to a grief journey you know because you go through the stages yeah. of grief it's denial it's anger um yeah i was angry you know those first yes. few years coming out yeah there was anger you know but eventually you go through those stages and, and yes. you get to a point yeah uh, where we are now you know
0: i mean i was just gonna ask so was um you know as um often asked when people leave like everyone knows that dad sort of part of his wanting to leave as well was because he didn't want to teach me it um or like you know take me to the meetings and so on. I mean, did was that part of it? Because you had young children. Were you sort of going, were you not wanting to keep teaching them that stuff and raise them the way that you had been raised or?
2: Yes, um, absolutely. I think that was part of it because um, at that point I, I, I found out, you know, uh, the big thing for me was the child sexual abuse that was covered up um, in... Uh, some of the congregations yeah and i thought to myself if my child um is not safe yeah if my children mm-hmm. are not safe because you know uh these were uh, there were cases of elders uh you mm-hmm. know perpetrators mm-hmm. and of course all these n- other niggling thoughts uh, mm-hmm. celine that i had you know growing up and, and the alarm bells and the blood policy and, and it got to a point where I, I thought to myself I cannot bring my kids up in this environment mm. definitely mm. not I cannot mm. teach them this I cannot teach them this if I'm not comfortable <laughs> you know with what I'm feeling right now and I think that was part mm. of it as well um, you know yeah.
1: yeah yeah and looking at your your um your YouTube um, videos and stuff you talk um, about quite a lot of different subjects we'll we'll put some links on the show notes to your uh, material and your stuff on on YouTube your podcast and um and of course your book if if people can get still get hold of those books that you've written um we'll do all that i think on one of the the podcasts you talk about education and uh, the the reasons why jehovah's witnesses don't um, yes what well, what's uh, what's your take on on why jehovah's witnesses discourage um people going to higher education
2: well i think i think in higher education you get taught uh, critical thinking skills, isn't it? Yeah. <laughs> so yeah. Uh, I think critical thinking skills is one major thing that uh, I think they, they know people who go to uh, pursue higher education, be it university, mm. be it um, whatever higher education field you're going to, uh, you, yeah. you tend to be able to be taught how to critically analyze things yeah. Um, yeah. in most instances. So I think that's a, a major thorn in their side. Um, yes, you know because yes, yeah. it would li- you know it makes people tend to leave the organization and start thinking critically about their their policies and mm. their doctrines. So I think that's yeah. one of the the reasons why they discourage it. Um, you know, um, yeah, that's, that's right. just that's one right. of the reasons I think uh, critical thinking skills. Yeah, no, I think that's
1: right. I think they're and they're right, aren't they? As you say, mm. they um they they're not stupid. They they're right to be afraid of people learning how to question and learning how to think and uh yeah um seeing the world for you know for what it is rather than what they uh, what they tell people it is correct mm,
0: it's yeah. um yeah it's it's definitely a really really valuable experience you get to you're just thrown in with a lot of people as well it's not just what you learn in the lectures is it it's what yeah. you learn from mm. being with others because all of a sudden people from it a lot of people travel from across the world you know to go to different unis and around the country and you yeah you're thrown in with all these people and you get to see oh worldly people aren't so bad yeah
1: that's right <laughs> yeah. yeah yeah absolutely so um so you're you're um you're living i guess it's always nice to kind of end on a on a positive note so you've you've been through these difficulties um but now you're you, you've managed to get through the side so um, do you want to tell us a little bit about your life now and what you've got planned and uh, what you do?
2: yeah so apart from the uh, activism that I do on the side in terms of <laughs> the YouTube channel and the podcast yeah. I, yeah. I'm actually in the I'm a <clears throat> I was trained in the mechanical engineering field um, yeah. so I've worked uh, in a lot of the uh, manufacturing sector um, you know the big uh, blue chip manufacturing companies. Um, yep. both locally and abroad. Um, so I'm in the engineering field and I'm in the education and training field, learning and development. So I impart mm. the skills to you know, uh, people within, yep. within in those, a lot of organizations. Uh, technical training, uh, that's my, my speciality um right. lean lean manufacturing and i think steven you mentioned that you also in the lean, lean space yeah yeah um, absolutely yeah uh, lean yeah. six sigma so so that's also part of my uh, expertise so so that's that keeps keeps me going um mm. as part of the day job <laughs> <laughs> um yeah um, you know apart from so there me, is
1: a life after isn't there that, i mean that is the message i think we we like to keep um yeah. emphasizing is yeah it, it can be really difficult um but we we like to talk to people who've done interesting things afterwards and have, have yeah. led a good life, you know. And I think that's uh, that's important to keep telling people
2: that.
0: Yeah, Absolutely. yeah, we always want to focus on the fact that it it's worth it.
2: <laughs> no, definitely, yeah. definitely. And look, um, yeah. the transition might be difficult in the beginning when you yes. come out of these high control groups, uh, yeah. But there is life after the cult. Uh, Absolutely. <laughs>
1: absolutely nice great well um I, i've really enjoyed talking to you today robin it's been absolutely fantastic mm-hmm. is uh is there anything that we've missed that you wanted to get across to our listeners or if we have we uh if have, have we covered all the things that you think are important in in your discussion
2: yeah i think that was it was great being on the show um you know i was just just from a south african perspective because you <laughs> yeah. know you don't normally yeah, get definitely. a south african perspective on on, on these types of things, uh, because we're stuck here at the mm-hmm. bottom of Africa, and <laughs> get overlooked sometimes. But, uh, um, yeah, just as I said, the message is very important that, um, you know, when, once, once you leave, it's difficult to leave uh, in some instances. But when you leave out mm-hmm. there, s- look for a community that supports you. And there's, there's many mm-hmm. uh, former Jehovah's Witnesses or former, yeah. whichever religion you or cult you're mm-hmm. part of, there are mm-hmm. many support groups. Um, seek those people out and just Mm. uh, you know um, there's there's help there's help out there and there's life there's life after absolutely brilliant
1: Mm. (laughs) well thank you so much for being on the show robin um again we'll put all your stuff your links if you can send them to us then we'll we'll put them on the show notes um so I, i sincerely recommend people check you out on all your activism stuff it's it's great stuff and um yeah, good luck with uh, with everything you do in the future.
2: Thank you for being on the show. Thank you, thank you awesome. steve thank, thank you Celine. Awesome guys being <laughs> nice you on your show. Cheers.
0: What should I think about is an evil sheep production.